Greetings and felicitations. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Good morning. It is Christmas week. It is the week where we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, a Catholic, or any of the other many religions that believe in the one God. So, here we are. This is going to be a celebration of life. The life of the birth of Jesus. My life. And how our lives intertwine with one another like the roots of a tree digging deeper into the ground and intertwining with other roots of the same tree to give the whole tree life and light. We're going to talk about the different topics and of course life comes death and we will discuss that too. It's a sweet time of the year but it's also a very difficult time for those of us who can't handle the holidays to become a little bit too much for us and we do the very, very thing we don't want to do. That's right. You know what I'm talking about. And we're going to talk about some other things, some other things that are the celebration of life. So, we're going to get to it. I will leave you with Billy Preston. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. We'll be right back. Listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Welcome to my celebration of life. Why this week? Well, this is the week we celebrate. We observe the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, a Catholic, or any other uh, uh, religion that worships, believes in the one God, this is the most special time of the year next to Easter. Uh, Jesus, our Lord, was born some 2,000 years ago in a little town of Bethlehem, and he was the original babe in a manger. The rest of us were all born in hospitals or at home, but he was born in a barn, basically. And I've been there to Israel, and he was actually born in a cave, uh, believe it or not. But these Christmas tales put it 
in a different light. We all have the major uh, uh, display in our homes. Sorry, I couldn't find that one word. <clears throat> but uh, the song, if you've never heard it, is My Sweet Lord, but it's not by George Harrison. This is a Billy Preston rendition. Yes, you got two shots of Billy Preston in one show. Where else is that going to happen? But here, on the Chairland Chronicles, I'm not dead yet. <clears throat> but uh, the song was written by George, and he gave it to Billy Preston to record, and Billy Preston recorded it before George did. Of course, George George went to court and was sued by the, I think it was the, the Shirelles, uh, because they said there was a, 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 a ripoff of their song. Uh, and I forget the name of the song, but I think you've heard that. So I found this this morning, and it's 4 o'clock in the morning on Monday. Uh, I don't even know what day it is. I know that Sunday is Christmas coming. So I, I guess it's days the 20th, something like that. But that's Billy Preston you hear banging away. And uh, like I said, we observe the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. He lived and he died for us. Nothing extravagant, but when I went to Israel, I learned a lot about what Jesus did that's not in the scripture. It's not in the Bible. These are things that... I don't know why they weren't handed down. Maybe it's because his life was almost as boring as yours or mine. He grew to become a carpenter like his father, uh, Joseph. And he worked in the family business. But he also spread the word of his true, or I guess you could say his biological father, which was our, our God, which rubbed off on Jesus and made him, uh, you know, God in the flesh, but we knew him as Jesus. And what we do is what we've been doing for the past 2,000 years is observing his birth. And in the spring, we observe his death. But the Christmas spawned many, many different spinoffs, I guess you could say, Santa Claus, and then all the others that came after. We do things like put lights up on our house. We hang a tree in our homes. We decorate it with ornaments and lights. And that's where we put the gifts under the tree that we open on Christmas Day. It's a very exciting time for children because children are the primary object of Christmas to show them and teach them our traditions. And right now, we're starting to lose a grip on those traditions, and that's the most troubling for me. You know, for children to grow up with these traditions, not knowing what they truly mean, or the whole gist of what they're about. And I ask you, I implore you as good people to keep those traditions close to you, to not forget, but most importantly, to teach the next generation what they're all about. So they pass that on and pass it on and on and on. That's the whole point 
of this is to teach and for them to learn. And it's not a bad thing, you know, really and truly. Uh, and it's slowly starting to get weirded out. And eventually it will be pushed to the side. Let's not let that happen. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. We'll be right back. Listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Sorry about that little uh, unintentional break. <clears throat> and we're talking about celebration of life. Well, we're going to talk about my celebration of life. That song is because something wonderful has happened. Not to steal a line from. Uh, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, but it fits. For the longest time in my life, I've struggled. More so in the past 40 years that I've been out of the service. And uh, I thought the thoughts of suicide came to mind. Yeah. And I figured I could just end it all. I didn't succeed at love. And I just didn't feel that I succeeded at life. And then one day, I was scrolling through my Facebook. And I saw a group. It was a submarine veterans group. So I joined And lo and behold, I saw some very familiar names of other people that were in this group. The first one being a guy by the name of Dave Piemontese. He was my first contact when I reported to uh, Groton, Connecticut to report aboard USS Greenling, my first ship. I remember Dave because uh, when he picked me up at the airport, I put my stuff in the back of his car and he took me to the barracks to check in. And uh, so I kind of ran around with him for a while and uh, he dropped me off of the barracks. I got my sea bag out of the back, but I forgot my pea coat, which I wouldn't realize for a couple of days when it snowed and I was cold as hell and I didn't have a pea coat. <clears throat> so I hooked up with Dave again. We went banging around. And uh, I ended up having to work for him because Greenling was out to sea. And there were about three or four other guys that were there to meet the ship. But they, we had to wait. So we're waiting in Groton at the submarine base. And we're hanging out of this warehouse because that's where they assigned us. And every few hours, Dave would go and check in with uh, the base I guess HQ, see if they needed us. 
and we make us do the loud jobs like move one box from a truck to another truck or pick up rocks, paint rocks, move rocks around. And we did that. And then after about 10 days of that, they called us in and we, the new guys, there were th three of us, had orders to report to USS Greenland in uh, Puerto Rico, which would be changed to St. Croix in the Virgin Islands because the ship was banging around down there. So I bid adieu to Dave Piemontese in uh, New London, Connecticut for a little while and hopped a plane to go catch my ship. Meanwhile, my peacoat is still the back of Dave Piemontese's car, but I'm going to the Tropical Islands, man. I didn't need a jacket. So that was like our kind of our running gag. Dave, where's my coat? And he had no idea where it went. He probably lost it. He probably sold it, that son of a, son of a gun. And so that was that. Well, anyway, long story short, I ran into, I saw his name on this group list. And I responded, is this the same Dave Pimontese that yada, yada, yada? And he responded back. He goes, is this Hank? And I said, yes, it is. And we started chatting. And he told me, Tony Copeland. I said, do you remember Tony Copeland? I said, hell yeah, I remember Tony Copeland. He was a good friend. He was a quartermaster. He was the guy that navigate, helped navigate the ship. But uh, Tony was a good guy. And so <clears throat> I reached out to him. He responded, and so I had two of my old shipmates in my life again. And we would chat back and forth and talk about the old times and this and that. But <clears throat> I would find other guys that I would hook up with, but my heart was burning for only a few people. And I found him, Don Lockhart, a very good, good friend. I met him when I was going to school in New, in uh, San Diego. We were both there going to Q5 school. And I would meet his wife, Susan. And we would party all the time. I mean, San Diego, remember I've told you this before, I, when I went to school, we went to school for us, started at six in the morning and ended at noon. So I had the whole day to just play, and Don, Sue, and I would go out and get wasted on daiquiris and just be sailors on shore in San Diego. Well, we graduated from school, went our separate ways back to different ships, and I would meet a whole new group of guys. And I would be on USS Sam Lance for about three and a half years till the end of my career, which was brief, which shouldn't have been. And I would meet two guys that would became my running buddies, Ron Bernard, who we call Bernie or Burn, and James Michael Evans, who was one of my sonar mates and became one of my best buddies. When I called them my traveling buddies because when we went to, we went on a North run we went up to parts where we shouldn't have been, and on the way back, we went to England. We got off, our trek started, we took, all took, the three of us took a week of leave. 
We left the ship in Danoon, Scotland, hopped a train and a ferry, and went tooling around London or England, went to London, spent two days there. Then we hopped back on a train and went down to Portsmouth, England, where we met the ship and continued on our way. But that week of traveling Edinburgh, Scotland, making our way by train to London, banging around London, seeing the sights. The one place we went, we did not make it to in London is I wanted to walk the street that the Beatles crossed in the album Abbey Road. But we ran out of, we never got around to that. Too many other adventures we were doing. And we bonded. Me, Bernie, and Mike bonded so hard that we became, I knew we were going to be French forever. And I think that's the one thing I was really missing was that I didn't have my friends in my life. I We lost touch, as all service people do. And uh, I really needed them. And I, look, I would look for them. I would... I would write Bernie sometimes, and I would get all these weird end of the year, you know, those uh, those status reports that some people send out during Christmas. Well, this has been our year. Uh, Timmy was in karate school, and and uh, he uh, and Johnny was a junior chemist, and uh, you know, Betty's been practicing her flag, her her pole dancing skills, you know. One of those letters that nobody really likes to read, but we read them because they're our friends, our family. So that was Bernie. And then they stopped, and then we lost touch. Mike, on the other hand, I, I kept trying to find. He went back to North Carolina, got a job as a postal employee, and uh, that was all I knew. <clears throat> so anyway, as I continued to delve into the submarine group, I started seeing familiar names, people that I hadn't seen in years, George Toma, Mitch Yon, Dave Johnson, all friends of mine from my Sandlance days and connected with them. But still my heart yearned for Mike and Bernie. And then I'm looking for these guys, their names never come up in these groups, but a lot of other ones did. And uh, that's the way life went. But I felt better about myself because I made these connections with people who meant a lot to me. People that I served with on the ships that we laughed, we cried, we lived, we almost died. But still my heart yearned for Mike and Bernie. And then recently, this was last Thursday... So that would be what, the 9th, 10th, the 8th, <laughs> thanks. Um, and uh, I get this message on Messenger, and it's from Bernie, lo and behold. And he basically writes that he stumbled onto my name, and I'm going to have to get that story to share with you. And he decided to reach out in Messenger, and I said, yep, that's me. So we had this little chat on Messenger, and then I said, hey, by the way, how's Mike? And he's like, oh, Mike's great. He goes, we just had lunch last month. 
And I was like, well, that's good. I just did. He goes, he goes, you know what would be a blast, a really great Christmas present if you gave him a call out of the blue. And he left me his number. And Saturday, I called the number. Nobody answered. But I did leave a voice message. I told him who I was, what we had done. If this, in fact, was Mike Evans to give me a call. But I got no response. And then yesterday, Sunday, I'm watching the Cowboys lose in the most horrible way to the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. And I get a text. And it was like, simply said, hey, Hank, that was my old Navy name. He goes, can you talk or is this a bad time? I said, well, Mike, right now the Cowboys are about to lose the game. But no, this would be a good time to talk. So he gave me a call and we chatted for an hour. I never thought it was possible for two men to have a conversation that long. But we chatted about our lives currently, our loves, and our times on Sandlands. He shared many, many, many memories that he recently had of some of our shipmates. This guy, Mike, got around. When you're a postal employee, I guess you got the money and the means and the time to travel. I wish I did. So I told him about me, what I, what's going on with me, you know, in my life. And we shared, he shared um, tales of other, our shipmates currently. And so that's the way it went. And I felt so good after that phone call he's the boost that I needed. You know, I told him about my current girl, our ups and our downs, but that we're back together again and we're stronger, better than ever, I think. And uh, I told him that I really do plan in the next year to marry this girl, make her my wife. And he said, all right, brother. Well, you just tell me when and where, and I'll be there. He goes, and I'll call Bernie, and we'll come down to be there to watch you to celebrate. I was like, so touched that after 40-something years, I have these friends that I've never seen, but we would drop what we're doing at the at the drop of a hat to go to, to see them, to be with them. Because of what we shared, I never realized how strong the bonds that we had were until I talked to Mike. You're blessed if you have friends like that. And we ended our conversation with the fact that there would be more. This was just the beginning. And that he, Bernie, and I would get together and be the boys in that song by Thin Lizzy. And maybe we'll find a bar called Dino's and hang out there again. Do you have friends or friendships that strong? When you serve and you're, you face a situation where you become near close to death, you form a bond that's unbreakable. And I asked Mike one question. Hey, do you remember this trip that we took on Sandlands? Yada, yada, yada. I'm not going to go into too much detail because it still hurts. And he said, hell yeah, I remember that. I remember this and I remember that. I said, God, thank you, Mike. 
I had to know because I was starting to believe that it wasn't, it never happened. It didn't happen because that was a very traumatic time for all of us. And it still hurts. It still haunts me to this day. He goes, oh, hell yeah, it does the same thing to him. But we handled it differently. But one thing we had in common was alcohol. We used alcohol heavily and often, and uh, it we got we got a hold of that demon, and we dealt with it, and that's the story. I rekindled my old friendships with Mike and Bernie, and I hope it's going to continue. We're separated by distance, and not time. 40 years, and we picked up like it was just yesterday. That's amazing in friendships, that they can be that strong, that's that powerful. I hope you have friendships that strong, bonds that are that hard and solid. That's my celebration of my current life, is that I rekindled my flame with my old friends, and it's as strong as ever, if not stronger. I hope that you have friendships that are that strong and that solid. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. We'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Well, you know and I know that it don't come easy, and it hasn't been coming easy for me at all this week. This is not my week. When I really thought things were shaping up to be better, they've gotten way, way worse. And I'm to blame, as always. I never get ahead. Uh, But... I don't really want to talk about that right now. We're three days away from Christmas 2022, but uh, this box about something totally different, something that I saw today on television that I really have a, a big problem with. <clears throat> today, uh, Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, came to the United States to address the Congress and to meet with the president. Now, they're including, there's this thing called the Omnibus omnibus uh, Spending Bill, which the Democrats are trying to run down and get approved before the year's out because they're pretty much done. In January, we will uh, swear in a new group of congressmen and senators, and they will change the course of our nation because the House will be controlled by the Republicans and not the Democrats. So today, as part of that spending plan, there's an extra $110 billion, yes, billion with a B, to aid Ukraine. Now, uh, 
I'm starting to have a problem with all of this. Now, at first, when this first happened a year ago, when Russia invaded the small country of the Ukraine, I felt for them. I felt for the Ukrainian people and their general, uh, Vladimir Zelensky, who was there, George Washington. He's a former comic, which makes me feel good that anything's possible. And he became the president of Ukraine. How that happens, I don't know. If I ever get to interview him, I will ask him. But uh, now he's uh, in a fight for his life. He's trying to save his nation. He's trying to run the horde of Russians out of his country, the Russian army. Now, uh, we reveled in his victories when his uh, forces sank a Russian uh, warship, the Moscow Uh, And I operated against her in Russian waters. But then again, you never heard me say that. And that's not a true statement. I I, I just realized I screwed up. But uh, anyway, uh, she was in the uh, the Black Sea. She got hit by a couple of their missiles and they sunk her. So now Zelensky is in the United States. This time he's asking for more aid, more money. And President Biden has agreed. And now he's trying to get the Congress to approve an extra $110 billion in humanitarian as well as military aid. Now, one of the first facets of this military aid is going to be the Patriot Missile System. The Patriot Missile System is the most advanced anti-missile system that we have in our arsenal. And we're going to turn it over to the Ukrainians, but not without the proper training. For proper training, you have to have soldiers who are under America, the American flag to go over with the missile system to train the Ukrainians on how to operate it, how to run it, and how to fire it. Until then, they're the experts in the field when it comes to that missile system. Now, I understand they're trying to lead us to believe that Zelensky and Joe Biden are fighting for the soul of Ukraine. Ukraine is going to be the total soul stabilizing factor in the European theater. Many are starting to doubt that because they're fearing that an invasion of Ukraine may lead to an invasion of Poland and Finland, and that will result in uh, the uh, what is, it's Article 5 of the NATO rules, which is uh, an attack on one is an attack on all, and that would usher in the beginning of World War Three. But let me go back up a little bit. Right now, Ukraine is fighting the Russian army with American weapons, American ammunition. They just don't have American boots on the ground. So we are in a de facto war with Russia. We are fighting Russians with American armor and American weapons, but not American blood. I guess they're they're going to get around to that eventually. Now, they, as I said, they're they're looking to Ukraine to be the, the sole jewel of democracy in the European theater. But hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's think back a minute. Let's go back to 1965, when another democratic government 
that of the corrupt uh, family from South Vietnam were asking for American help and American goods to help foster their failing regime and uh, to defend them from the North Vietnamese, which ended up dragging the, the United States into a very bloody, very costly war with North Vietnam and, in essence, China. So, in a way, World War III has already been fought on different fields under different names. This won't be fought in, uh, in Ukraine, but it would be essentially the Third World War. has already started. It's just all the players don't know that they're involved. Now, I watched the speech he gave to Congress when he addressed our Congress tonight. And he asked, not for one Patriot missile battery, but several. He wanted, And he used the term more, more, more. They want more. Now, Joe Biden is willing to fork all this over. And it bothers me because what would Donald Trump do? I don't think Donald Trump would have taken this this option that we're that finds us where we're at now. I think Donald Trump would have gotten an Air Force One, flown to Russia, sat down with Putin and said, "Hey bud, let's party." And figured all this crap out. But instead, we are stuck in a war that it's just a matter of time before we put our boots on their soil to fight the Russian army. And that's when it's going to get real interesting. Because I don't think it's going to take much for Vladimir Putin to lob a tactical nuke at somebody's troops. And then you're going to have a big, nasty shooting war. It started out in Vietnam with advisors. And advisors asked for more frontline troops because their troops weren't willing to fight. So we sent in what was it, 7th Cavalry to a place called the Aishau Valley. And they were met by very superior forces, but we held our ground. We were Americans. We would go on to fight in that bloody war for another eight, nine years, costing 58,000 lives. And in the record books, the only war we've lost so far. So here we go with Ukraine. But now if we're going to fight Russia, the, the stakes have gotten a lot higher. Because for one, Russia is run by a man who is a... I guess the, the safest way to put it is he's a super spy. He did the kind of stuff James Bond did, including the killing. He's former KGB, and he knows how their system works. He wants to re-glorify the old Soviet Union and bring it back, restore it back to what it used to be. He doesn't like the, what it's become. And I don't like what the, what the United States has become. We become weak. We become uh, compromising. We don't kick ass like we used to anymore. 
Something's got to change. Something's got to give. And right now we're giving in the terms of $110 billion to a country that I'm not saying has not undergone a lot of suffering. Uncles, fathers, brothers, sons have died for the the glory of their country. Millions have been displaced all over Europe. And very few, the only ones that are left in Ukraine are are the fighters and the old and the sick, the ones who couldn't get out. There's not much left, but we're pumping money into them. We're we're keeping them propped up just like a little unknown corner of Southeast Asia back in the late 60s. And it's going to get ugly, uglier. And Zelensky doesn't seem to realize that where's all this money coming from? I hope he doesn't think he's tapped into a big, fat sugar vein or gold vein and that he's just going to mine all this all this gold and cheddar you and I this money comes from us it comes from our taxes and like I said when all this first started I was all I was behind Ukraine 100% but now I'm having my doubts I really really am having my doubts about this place is it worth it for one I don't know I don't know if it's worth it. I know they they want their freedom. They want to be a separatist nation from Russia. But Russia's not having none of that. And if it starts with Ukraine, where does it end? Does it end? These are the questions that we have to ask ourselves. Now, something very interesting was said in the speech and in in another uh, Q&A with Biden and Zelensky in the Oval Office was they asked, when is this war going to end? Now, Zelensky said, and Biden also said, that this will carry on into 2023, into next year. But they're hoping they can secure a victory and bring Putin to the table and have him negotiate a peace. I think the timetable is a little skewed because they have to have this war over by 2023 Because when 2024 comes, Joe Biden's running for re-election. And he may be facing an an opponent that is ready to come back into the White House and get things returned to normal. And that's something he's not going to be too happy with. So it's going to be a very long and sad winding road for us in the next coming year, in the coming 12 months. I hope God smiles down on us and gives our leaders the wisdom that they lack right now and reminds them that we're the people that represent our countries in them and that uh, I'm in no hurry to die. Look, I'm dying. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I know I'm dying. I, I have an expiration date. We all do. We don't want this to come any faster. Let cooler heads prevail. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. We'll be right back.
is really in the driver's seat. Minding my business. And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Well, I told you the ugly truth of how I feel about Ukraine and how it relates to us. And now I'm going to talk about another topic that is in the same vein almost. Uh, and it pertains to this uh, multi-trillion dollar bill that's about to be passed in the House, the $1.7 trillion omnibus package. Now, it's supposed to fix a lot of our problems, so they say, but what it's really doing is throwing a lot of money at nothing. And uh, I'll give you an example. In this bill, there is money allotted for the borders of Syria, Egypt, Lebanon, and Ukraine. But nothing that pertains to our southern border between us and Mexico. The reason I bring that up is because the border is basically open. Now, the government and its uh, all his cronies will tell you that the border is under control. The border is closed. But yet, for a closed border, they're coming through in droves. People are crossing in the middle of the night. It's, it's freezing right now in Texas, in South Texas. It's freezing. And these people are wading through waist-deep water to get to the other side. And, of course, our Border Patrol are waiting for them to process them in and send them on their way further into the interior of the country. Now, I saw on the uh, news a person wading through the, uh, the river, and when they came out of the other end, they were soaking wet. All they had covering them was one of those little aluminum blankets, those little foil blankets, the space age, the ones the astronauts used. And the person was shivering. Not a way I would want to start coming into a new country. But they're here, and they're overrunning the set, the border town of El Paso, Texas. El Paso, Texas has a, a, an average population of 30,000 people. Right now, because of all the migrants, the population has swelled to 120,000. And they're everywhere. They're sleeping on street corners. They're sleeping on sidewalks. They're they're. They've overrun the airport, and they're sleeping in the airport. There are people everywhere. El Paso is it's a wash with people from from the border to the interior of the city, and they're coming to your town. And they're not going to do anything to stop it. This is the problem. What do we do? Well, we need to finish the wall, for one. And right now, Joe Biden's kind of trying to make us think he is, that he's doing something. But yet his secretary, Mallorcas, is saying there's nothing wrong with the border. The border is fine as they swim across and even wave at the cameras behind Mallorcas, waving hello to their new country because they're probably coming to your house to break into it to get some clothes, some dry clothes, maybe something to eat. It's a bad situation. And then for the ones that they do document, there are two that get in uh, unadulterated and they, they're probably bringing in fentanyl because the cartels are wanting them to, hey, since you're going to the United States, take this with you and drop it off at this address. Or you know what, just drop it on the desert, somebody will pick it up. And so there you go. And uh, 
we're not doing anything about it. Nothing's being done, and they grow by the minute. According to the last statistic from the Border Patrol, or ICE actually, uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, they said that, that there are a total of 4 million, let that roll off your tongue, 4 million illegal aliens have come in. Well, actually, they're not illegal aliens anymore. They're migrants, but they're illegal migrants. And they're coming across the borders from San Diego, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. I saw a, a, a news film of people actually in Brownsville swimming into the ocean around the fence, swimming back up on the beach, and now they're in the, they're in the United States, coming to America, right? So that's the deal. Our southern border, southern border is pr- completely unprotected now. Funny thing is, they're starting to have the same problem on our northern border. The Canucks are coming. They figured if the Mexicans can get, can do it and the Hondurans and the Costa Ricans, so can the good old Canucks. Hell, I even heard Sasquatch is coming over illegally from time to time. But they're coming. I understand that this is the land of milk and honey, of golden opportunities. We're suffering a worker shortage. Nobody wants to work because Joe Biden's paid everybody to stay home. But they, I heard a, a, a congressman say, well, there's a whole new workforce coming in every day because these people want to work. But are they qualified to do the job? I know it doesn't take a whole lot of brains or, uh, or a college degree to clean hotel rooms or to cook a short order in a, in a restaurant or a fast food joint. But still, yeah, I know they deserve an opportunity, but what about the Americans that don't want to work? There's a lot of them. What's going to happen to them? Now, it would be nice if we could do an even trade with Mexico or Honduras, and we'll trade you two of yours for ten of ours. I think that's fair, because these people work, and they work hard, and they believe in work. The problem is they work and they send all the money they make back home. It's not spent here in taxes. It's not spent here in in buying goods or services. They send all that money. Uh, I saw another uh, report saying that on the average, in the average year, uh, migrants who work in the United States send back a total of 13 to $14 billion. Let that roll off your tongue. Billion dollars that could have been spent here on goods and services and taxes went to another country to bolster their uh, GNP. So what do you think we should do? What should be done? What should our lawmakers be doing? Let me know. What do you would tell me what you think? I'd really love to know. You can reach out to me at Twitter. I'm at Ben Hur at TCC INDY or TC Cindy, as I've been told. Let me know. Reach out and we'll go from there. <clears throat> You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Stick around. We'll be right back. Bells will be ringing. This sad, sad news. Oh, what a Christmas. To have the blues, my baby's gone. I 
And we're back. You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. And we talked about, or I talked about, songs of Christmas time. Those that aggravate the living hell out of me and those that almost bring me to tears. Well, for me, that is the ultimate Christmas song right there. Please Come Home for Christmas by the Eagles. I could sit here and sing that song all night long because I've been alone many, many Christmas nights. Like I'm going to be alone again this Christmas. But once again, it seems it's it's of my own doing, although I don't know how that happened. But, oh, that song. What's the one Christmas song that really hits you between the ribs? And then you feel the knife twist. That's it for me. It's not rock around the clock or jingle bell rock or anything like that. It's the Eagles. Please come home for Christmas. Some people say it's Elvis's Blue. Uh, my mom loves Blue Christmas. That's her song. You know, and Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Paper by Roy Orbison. Well, what's your favorite Christmas song? The song that really hits you in the gills. Uh, the other song that brings me to tears is Mullican Tire, but you already know that. Most of you already know that. If you listen to the show. Joe Walsh, folks. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just thought I'd throw this bit in there just to get this off my chest I mean I'm just I'm not I'm not in a, be- a good place right now if I will be I don't know I don't know what the, if I wish I wish I knew what the future was I would just crawl under a, a cliff and hide until my life passed me by it anyway uh, we'll be right back You're listening to the Chairland Chronicles. I'm not dead yet. I'm your host, Ben Hur. Thank you for sticking around. And as you know, if you're an aficionado of the show, when you hear the Traveling Wilburys sing End of the Line, that's the end of this episode. And we've killed another hour. An hour of your life that you won't get back. But then again, neither will I. Uh, Who cares, right? Uh, As we used to say in the military, don't mean shit. Don't mean a damn thing. But we covered some territory. I told you about some Christmas traditions. I told you about what's going on in our government. And uh, with money that belongs to us, that they're spending willy-nilly. But we give give this power to use wisely, not to squander, but... 
This is why we have free elections. I guess you have to make up your own mind about all this, where you stand, how you feel, and make a decision as to where you want to be. On what side of the border do you want to stand on? And you stick with it. Some people are going to fight you on it. Others will support you. But you're going to find out that you may be in a cold, dark place. But you're not alone. There's a lot of us there with you. Depending on which side you decide to stand on. Now, I'm going to leave you with my standard departure greeting. That's a weird concoction, isn't it? Of live, laugh, love. Live your life as if today's your last day on earth. And for the past few days, I was very, very happy, which is a very uncommon thing for me. But we always step in our own stink, and you got to deal with the results of that. That's what I'm doing. Uh, So live your life as if it's your last day on earth. Laugh at everything when you get a chance. Some people don't want to laugh, but you got to laugh. And you got to laugh at yourself. You got to look in the mirror and laugh because you're the funniest thing walking this earth. And you got to love. You got to love everybody on God's good. You don't have to like them, but you got to love them. And you got to love yourself. Never forget to love yourself. You can't love others if you don't love yourself. So, this is the Chairland Chronicles saying until next week, be good.